ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. An application to re-export thousands of sheep and cattle on board the MV Bahaja has been rejected. So that ship is still sitting off the coast near Fremantle. And as you'll learn today, animal rights activists in Israel are making this situation even more complicated. This activism group has gone to the courts uh, um, to put an injunction into um, not allowing the importation of these livestock into Israel. So where to next for these animals that have now been on board the ship for more than a month? I'll share the latest information with you very soon. We'll also today get the latest on why the lights went out for about 20,000 people in the top end late yesterday. And a quick heads up, if you are listening to the Country Hour today via the old-fashioned radio, then in five minutes' time, you will be brutally whisked away to the cricket and you will find yourself listening to that one-day international between Australia and the West Indies. If you want to stay listening to the Country Hour, and I think you should, then you need to switch over now to the ABC Listen app or jump onto our website, NT Country Hour, and listen to us via the stream. So if you're a big Country Hour fan, go and do that now. If not, in about four minutes' time, you'll be sent off to the cricket. Apologies. First up this afternoon, let's make our way to Timber Creek, where floodwaters have receded and the town is in clean-up mode. Our reporter, Jan Kahoot, is in Timber Creek this afternoon. Uh, Jan, maybe first up, can you tell us about the drive out to Timber Creek? How is that Victoria Highway looking? Oh, look, uh, the Victoria Highway was um, at first in pristine condition, but as we came into the Gregory National Park, all of that mud just piled into the plain and all that grass and all over the trees. And you can actually see where the flood water line was uh, on those trees. And so we kept going onto that road that was just desolate. And uh, we fell upon uh, the Victoria Roadhouse with um, the Victoria um, River Bridge with all this mud and potholes all over that have just been filled in. And we came upon um, a a man operating a bulldozer, and his name was Milton Jones, happened to be... (laughs) Yes, the Milton Jones. Yes, (laughs) he he owns the roadhouse. (laughs) That's the one. And, uh, yes, he introduced himself, and um, he said, well, you you guys want to... Want to check out what's how's the inside looking? And um, yeah, it looked like um, the water came actually in 15 centimeters, about not as bad as the the, the, the previous flood they they had. But um, yeah, Milton took us around where the road was, and he actually showed us that um, the new road that was installed um, is actually quite tall and had deviated the natural course of the river which actually caused the water to come straight onto the roadhouse and they had extensive damage done to their toilet blocks where uh, a lot of the plumbing was destroyed. They had to take out a bit of the walls 
as well because it was rotting due to the water. So a whole lot of damage there. And uh, Milton also told us that a lot of his cattle um, is dispersed throughout you know, the, 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 the wilderness, basically. Mm. Some taken away um, by the river. Yeah, so is so the roadhouse open? Is his roadhouse open there? Like no, get, no, no, it's not. No. Mm. And so, what about Timber Creek itself, Yarn, where you are this afternoon? How's town looking? Well, town is uh, looking. Uh, there, there are a few um, road trains just piled in, having a quick stop there and there. And yeah, I'm looking at the sky, and believe it or not, it's actually pouring. Uh, uh, some black clouds and yeah it's starting to pour again so and people around town that you've spoken to how's everyone feeling about the cleanup and and I I guess some people are are returning back to Timber Creek after being evacuated yes uh, so yesterday I came into town and um, a lot of people greeted us saying, yeah, you know, very happy to see new faces, uh, people coming by, tourists coming by. They were wanting to get through the roads, as well as uh, communities. They were evacuated from uh, the communities surrounding uh, Timber Creek, uh, coming from Darwin, that um, were there getting uh, back to uh, the communities, not knowing how the houses are looking or how the animals are doing. Um, and uh, everyone's feeling a bit isolated. I've, I've spoken to uh, a few people that, that, that were saying, well, where's the relief? Where, where, where are we at? So are we, are we going to get any, any kind of payments? But um, it seems to me that everyone's helping each other. You know, I've heard that Oven Station has delivered beef um, to one of the communities. So it looks like everyone is actually helping each other here. Uh, we've heard from the Holcomb family a few times over the last couple of weeks while this flood event was on. You actually went up the road and caught up with Rani this morning. Let's have a listen to her. Um, yeah, so I guess we've been sort of flooded in here at Timber Creek. Not so much that, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of in- damage to infrastructure, although, you know, a few, a few buildings did go underwater, but it was more that we were kind of marooned on a bit of an island with the road being cut. Um, both to the east and to the west of us and yeah I guess we were isolated here for I think 18 days before the road was opened so um, yeah that's exactly what it was pretty isolating. So um, what was the biggest damage to your property? Our fencing yeah so um, we have 30,000 acres of land here and yeah I'd I'd guess at this stage 80 to 90 percent of our fencing has been destroyed and that's our second year in a row as we had floods here last year as well so uh, at this point in time all our cattle and horses are free ranging and uh, all unaccounted for at the minute. How much do you think that will cost you? Uh, I would hate I'm not very good at figures, but you know, we obviously a fair bit of that fencing will have to be fully replaced, um, and you know, not to mention the cost of of the hours that we put into it personally. Yeah, I can't, I wouldn't be able to give you a figure. Sorry. At this point, uh, what do you think is the the next step? Um, so, firstly, what we've been doing is just trying to locate all our horses to start with. We own about 50 horses, and um, some of them are quite valuable to us for a work on a work point of view, but um, also on a personal level. So, we've just tried to locate a few of them at the moment. Uh, we've probably sort of found two thirds of our horse plant, and we've secured them in a paddock. Um, 
our next step now is to get a fence up and around another paddock so that we can um, get a helicopter in and muster all our cattle into one location and yeah then from there start rebuilding the rest of the property all the all the fencing infrastructure mostly yeah just fencing 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 the, I guess yeah it'll be a race against the clock I guess to try and get something a bit more substantial up so that they don't run out of feed and we don't want them to lose condition they've got calves on them and wieners so yeah just um it's just it's a really big job it's you know just my husband and myself and you know I'm not much help we've got two little kids under the age of three so I can't give him a lot of hours on the fence line so it's a pretty slow process. If, if it's a race against time do you think you could potentially get some more labourers in time? Yeah so I guess that's one of our biggest hurdles at the moment is we're needing fencing materials and we're needing labour. Um, because contract mastering is a seasonal job though our funds at this time of the year are pretty limited so we're really seeking some immediate funding so that we can uh, get in the supplies and the labour needed to get those fences up and helicopter hours you know obviously we're going to have to pay a helicopter to muster all the animals back together so yeah that's another expense that we have to wear. How many uh, animals do you think are out there currently still? Uh, So yeah our cattle we haven't even begun to put our cattle together at the moment but um you know we've, we've only got a couple of hundred head but so yeah potentially there's 200 head of cattle running around out there somewhere what would you ask currently for for the government in terms of maybe supplies but also what else would you ask for them to to do um just some funding like but immediate funding at the moment all we've heard about is um that it's going to be a very long process uh for pastoralists to get any compensation for this um, which I really struggle to understand, knowing that in other states it's made available within 24 hours. So just frustrated that the territory is so slow. Um, but yeah, we're sort of told it's going to be a long wait before that funding is available. But like I was saying, um, we need the funding now so we can get these fences up and running and, and secure our animals and and you know pay for the helicopters and everything. So yeah, it's been pretty frustrating. That is Rainy Holcomb in Timber Creek speaking to our reporter Yanka Hoot. A big job out there in the VRD, a big clean-up job and the big job of finding all of that livestock who have dispersed out across the region with all of that fencing down. Timber Creek, it's actually going to be up on the big screen tonight. It will be featured tonight on ABC TV's Backroads program. Ready to hit the road less travel? Back Roads is back out adventuring. From Tassie's Tasman Peninsula to East Arnhem Land in the Territory and everywhere in between. Join me, Heather Hewitt, and my guest explorers now on Tuesday nights at 8, visiting the small towns and communities that make Australia so special. All new Back Roads returns tonight on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Yeah, so the Back Roads team visited Timber Creek well before the flooding, and tonight's episode, it focuses on the relationship that the community has with the nearby Bradshaw Army Training Base. So here's just a little taste of tonight's Back Roads episode, hosted by guest presenter Christy O'Brien. The Bradshaw Field Training Area covers a massive 9,000 square kilometres. That's about three times the size of the Australian Capital Territory. 
These vast tracts of open space are normally used to conduct large-scale military exercises. Bradshaw is important to defence and it offers a vast range of options for land, air and maritime training. When Army, Navy and Air Force train independently, when they train together and when we train with our international military partners. But the officer in charge here, Lieutenant Colonel Adam Boyd, tells me the manoeuvres being conducted today are about strengthening a different kind of friendship. So we do this so you don't take my water away from me and to your country. So we give you blessing. With personnel from the Australian Army, the US Navy and Marine Corps, I'm being anointed in the ancient customs of the Nullywaru, Nangali and Jiminjin people, the traditional owners of the land. It's a rare privilege. My family was eight of us. Lorraine Jones grew up on Bradshaw when it was a sprawling cattle station. Most of her mob now live around Timber Creek. The army welcomes them back on country to run a culture camp, to pass on the old ways to their children and grandchildren. We're teaching them about how to hunt for bush tucker and where they can find bush tucker. It's about survival. And we tell them a story about what that dream inside. I think it's fair to say that it helps us listen. We have a saying, um, big ears and a small mouth. Know when to talk and know when to listen. And it is an opportunity for us to learn about Bradshaw's ancient and intricate history, the Bradshaw traditional owner's connection with country. So how'd you go out on the river? Uh, so, pretty successful. Got a nice size barramundi. You've got to be happy with that. Absolutely. I've been here 14 years and haven't caught one of them. So. <laughs> These young marines and sailors from all over the United States are part of the rotational force based in Darwin. I really didn't like know what to expect, but it's kind of awesome that they're so open to just having people come in and spend time with them. But that hasn't always been the case. The presence of the US military on Australian bases is a sensitive issue. It sparked heated debate in the past. When the Army took over the past release on Bradshaw in 1996, ending its era as a cattle station, the traditional owners of this country had their own reservations. People were uncomfortable talking with people in uniform, they were thinking, oh yeah, they're gonna drop bomb on the site and you know, our sacred site's gonna be damaged. But that, that wasn't the case. The partnership that we formed allowed us to come together in the early years to understand the sites of cultural significance and sensitivity and to map those. You know, if you don't trust each other, you can't get nowhere. We got this good relationship now and everybody trusts each other. That is Lorraine Jones from Timber Creek. The town, the community will be featured on tonight's episode of Backroads with guest reporter Christy O'Brien. So that's on tonight at 8 o'clock. Of course, if you miss it for whatever reason, you can always catch it via ABC iView. 
Let's make our way to Western Australia now. The live export vessel, the MV Bahaja, it is still sitting just off the coast of Fremantle. And last night, the Federal Department of Ag rejected an application to re-export the thousands of livestock on board. Here is the Department Secretary, Adam Fennessy. The application submitted on 26 January 2024 for the re-export of livestock on board the MV Bahaja to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope has not been approved by my department. The departmental regulator was unable to be satisfied in accordance with the Export Control Animal Rules that the requirements of the Export Control Act in relation to the export of livestock have been complied with or would be complied with before the livestock are imported into the imported country. The regulator was unable to be satisfied that the importing country requirements relating to the livestock have been met or will be met before the livestock are imported into the importing country and was unable to be satisfied that the arrangements for the transport of the livestock to their final overseas destination are appropriate to ensure their health and welfare. So that's the department's Adam Fennessy. So that application was lodged on the 26th of January and more than 10 days later it gets rejected. These animals, they're still on board. They've been on board for more than a month now. And remember, this all started after the ship was ordered to turn around and come back to Australia because of safety issues in the Middle East, in the Red Sea. And now the federal regulator has rejected this application for the ship to sail off to Israel via the long way around. So what happens next? What happens to these animals? Jeff Pearson, he's the livestock president with the WA Farmers Association, and he's been closely involved with this shipment. And he says animal activists in Israel appear to have influenced the outcome. Basically, we're in a situation where the department have taken some time to, to come up with a decision. But what the uh, the biggest hurdle is now is that the apparently the Isra- an Israeli activist uh, organisation has put an injunction um, into the uh, Israeli government to uh, um, not allow um, the animals or not allow the government to uh, list a, a, an importing permit to uh, import those uh, cattle into Israel. On the Country Hour yesterday, you sounded really confident that the permit would be approved. Is this a shock to you? It is, it is. I mean, we, we did everything we, we can. We pulled out all stops to reduce the stocking density of the of the uh, the livestock vessel uh, at the department's request in anticipation that we would be able to uh, continue on with the voyage with the existing animals on the ship. Uh, and now we're in a situation where I think uh, the as, as early as Sunday... Uh, this activism group has gone to the courts uh, um, to put an injunction into um, not allowing the uh, the importation of these livestock into Israel. So it's it's your understanding that that that's the the main problem is a is a group in in Israel. Is there any uh, objection from within Australia? Well, um, look, uh, it's, it's all just sort of happened just just quickly yeah, as from yesterday. But you know, I'm not sure whether we are in a position to be able to go back to the Israeli government, um, you know, department to department, government to government, to be able to overturn anything. But uh, I understand how the courts work. Um, that basically, if there is any impending 
issues within the courts, which there is at the moment, um, they may not be able to be uh, turned around quickly. As part of the re-export application, was there a plan B for the animals if they couldn't be unloaded in Israel? It was always it was always the the, the the decision that we've been waiting for the department. There's two options here. The one to, was to re-export, which was was just a preferred option, uh, and the department um, had that high on the agenda, or to unload the livestock. Now, uh, due to you know biosecurity issues that, with the with, uh, potential issues with which we, which I might add were very low, um, you know the the industry and and exporter and and department you know had every intention of of trying to uh, re-export. These cattle with a lower and, and sheep with a lower stocking density, so uh, that was always high on the agenda. But what we're dealing with now is a totally different issue, um, which has just arisen you know, quickly, which is something that we we never saw coming. Uh, and um, you know, we're, we're dealing with this as it is now as a totally different situation. Yes, and and what happens now? Uh, well, the excuse me, the options are to um, to uh, obviously now we will have to offload the livestock. Um, you know, we, we've already offloaded a percentage of, um, of of cattle off the off the ship, but no sheep. Um, so we're in a situation now where we've we've got to find a home for um, the sheep, uh, preferably a quarantine uh, facility that, uh, that that they that they came from. But understanding that there's other sheep in those quarantine facilities as we speak um, that need to be shifted out before we can before we can discharge the livestock, the sheep livestock from the the ship. Yeah, as soon as as soon as we we can, but um, the future of of the sheep will be um, either re-export or process. Um, I believe that we can we can process them here. Um, there's there's, there's situ, situ, um, discussions going on with processors at the moment to um, to be able to, to to process those sheep, but the cattle I'd say will uh, wait buy some time uh, back at the registered premises and um, and look at re-exporting into Israel when things sort themselves out. Jeff, do you feel that this situation will um, put further uh, complications into the future of live export for sheep in Western Australia and Australia? Yeah, Lucinda, it doesn't help um, the situation. You know, when we had markets established and, and had been established for a very long time, uh, any disruption puts puts any puts any market in jeopardy. Um, so yeah, commercially, I think there's there's been some impact on um, you know, in a political space and also you know, in, a, in a sovereignty space as well. Um, so yeah, ultimately, it, it's it's not a good not a good situation. That is Jeff Pearson with the WA Farmers Association speaking to Lucinda Jose. You can read more about this situation up on the ABC Rural website. G'day, I'm Brad Inglis from Sturt Plain Station, south of Dunmara on the Stewart Highway, and you're listening to the NT Country Hour. A resources company which is hoping to start up a large rare earths project in central Australia. It's got itself a brand new chief executive. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Who is it? Well, we're talking about Arafira Rare Earths, and its new head is Daryl Kazubo. He's been on the board of the company for the last few years since 2021. Uh, Before that, he spent 24 years at BHP. The chairman of the company, Mark Southey, said in a statement, this transition reflects the board's absolute focus on delivering and commissioning the Nolans project as the company's efforts to secure 
offtake agreements and debt financing solution heads towards a conclusion. So Daryl Kazubo, he replaces Gavin Lockyer. Who's been on the show so many times over the years. And he's been at Arifura for more than 17 years. The majority of those as managing director. Gavin will hang around for a bit for a handover with Daryl Kazubo. But yeah, he's the new head of Arifura Rare Earths. And just quickly... Inpex has had a bit of a change as well. Yes, the NTN News has reported that Stuart Knowles, Inpex's territory manager, has resigned for personal regions. He took on that role just over 12 months ago. And according to the NTN News, he's been temporarily replaced by General Manager of Corporate Affairs, Jody Wesley, while I search for a replacement continues. Okay, thank you for keeping us up to date, Dan. As we go to where this afternoon, shares in Arafura. A down by 4%. We've still got plenty to come in the second half of the program, including an update on why the lights went out yesterday for so many in the top end. I'll see you back here in five minutes for a chat with the Weather Bureau. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper and I'm in here at Darwin Port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Greyman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In some breaking news, the Reserve Bank has just come out and said it's going to keep interest rates on hold at 4.35%, which I don't think has surprised any of the analysts. We might bring you some more information about that in just a moment here on the Country Hour. Big news yesterday was that the Territory Government is asking you for your thoughts on what it should do with saltwater crocodiles. So it's put out its 10-year management plan. It wants your thoughts on it. also want your thoughts on whether there should be more crocodiles culled. And we got a text from someone yesterday who said, the only person the Chief Minister Eva Lawler should listen to is Professor Graham Webb at Crocodilus Park. Well, guess what? You will hear from Graham Webb and his thoughts on this just before 1.30 today. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Juliet Barson is there this afternoon. Juliet, what's happening out there today? Good afternoon. Today um, we've got this uh, southerly wind surge pushing up. It's helping to bring some cooler and windier conditions. There's also the chance of severe thunderstorms producing damaging wind gusts and or heavy rainfall over the southeast Barclay and north and northeast Simpson d- districts today. That's also supported by <coughs> an upper trough, so we may see some uh, some of those thunderstorms later later today, and also potentially in the the northern Tanami and southern Gregory district. There's a chance we could see. Uh, some gusty, severe thunderstorms uh, today and tomorrow in that area. Okay, what's creating the conditions for this? Um, the dry air pushing up through and um, helping to give a bit of punch as well as the upper trough providing some enhancement for those storms. Okay, and uh, in terms of warnings, uh, there still is that final flood watch in place for sort of along that uh, Queensland border, is that correct? So for the um, the flooding conditions, the situation is easing and the, the flood watch is finalised. Um, okay. So fingers crossed we're not expecting more um, sustained heavy rainfall on the way, so hopefully more isolated falls. So 
But yeah, all those catchments are still quite wet. Yeah. All right then. Well, I'm just looking at uh, the Alice Springs radar and not too much to talk about now. When would you expect these storms to start whooping up this evening? Um, potentially later this afternoon with the heating. Uh, the areas, though, are outside of the major centres of um, Alice Springs and Yalara and Tennant Creek, so they're less likely to see um, severe thunderstorm activity in those areas, so more the further in the eastern parts and um, western parts, as it were. Um, in terms of what's happening at Alice Springs today, gosh, it's a lot cooler than yesterday with the cool temperatures starting to come through with the wind change. So yesterday we got up to a peak of... 43.4 at Alice, and today mm. it's only got up to 32.8. So that's big relief, isn't it? Yes, yes. And uh, we started the program having a chat to our reporter who's in Timber Creek this afternoon, and he mentioned that it, it had started pouring down rain again. And looks like there is a bit of moisture out in the VRD this afternoon, yes? Yes, so we have seen some, some rainfalls in the 24-hour totals. Our highest was 18.6 at Upper Wickham and 17.2 at Larger Manu, uh, 15.4 at the Granites, and then since 9am, uh, most of that thunderstorm activity has been centred around the Gregory, so we're seeing uh, 20.2 at Bradshaw, 8.5 in Williams Crocking, 7 at Dashwood, 3 at East Baines and 2.2 up Upper Wickham River. Yeah, just looking. still more to further to the north in terms of what we've actually been able to measure so far today. Yeah, there's not heaps of rain gauges out there. And just looking at the radar, it would seem it is sort of, you know, pouring down this afternoon at Kununurra just across the border and Victoria River Downs maybe getting a bit of rain as well. So there's a, there's a bit about. Any of that drifting into, you know, further north towards the capital? No, so not today or yesterday because there's been this drier air and this sort of diffluent flow over over the top end, which has made it quite tricky for the western northern coasts of the top end to, to get any chance of um, thunderstorm activity. But that's set to change because that trough that's currently moving through the central districts, that will push further north and enhance weather over the top end as we come into tomorrow and Thursday and later in the week. So... Well, definitely more chance of thunderstorms and possibly producing heavy rain for the top end over the next few days. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Uh, with these gusty winds, it is going to elevate the fire conditions over the next few days. So keep uh, watch out for any uh, fire weather warnings that may be issued over the next few days, uh, particularly for Barclay North. Beauty. All right, then. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Have a great day. How to Relax with Tom Gleeson from Hard Quiz. Holiday. Throwing in a line. Great time. Other fish biting. Hard. <laughs> Cruising on a pushy. Don't forget to pedal. Hard. And generally getting teed off. Don't scream too. Hard. How's the serenity, Tom? I need to go back to work to relax. <laughs> the new season of Hard Quiz. Back Wednesday, February 7 on ABC TV and always free, always entertaining on ABC iView. On a Tuesday lunchtime, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you today. I hope you are well. As I mentioned a moment ago, some big news has just come through. The news is is that the Reserve Bank has this afternoon decided to keep interest rates on hold at 4.35%. Alicia Barry from the ABC Business Program has just 
been on ABC News 24 to explain what's happened. Let's have a listen to that coverage. We have Sherelle Murphy standing by. She is the chief economist at EY Oceania. Uh, Sherelle Murphy, the RBA, delivered no surprises at the beginning of the year. Good afternoon, Alicia. No, uh, not at all. Which um, and it would have been very um, quite shocking, really, if they had, given that the inflation numbers um, have been coming down, and in the December quarter were actually lower than their previous forecasts. And of course, we today we see an update to those forecasts, and also an extension of the forecasts um, out past the end of 2025. So there's going to be lots of news to digest to see where they're going to be headed as the year progresses. And I mean, since the RBA lifted rates in November and of course then kept them on hold in December, we have had quite a bit of data out, uh, some weaker than expected job numbers, fall in retail sales in December and of course the inflation number that you just referenced. Is it possible the RBA has overshot when it's come to rate rises uh, and that could be to the detriment of the economy? There's always a chance that the Reserve Bank um, kind of overshoots towards the end of a cycle, but I think it would be way premature to suggest that that's happened this time. And that's because inflation is still above the target band. Uh, inflation is, of course, their number one concern, and it's running at 4.1%, whereas they want it to be somewhere between 2 and 3. I'd also say that there's still a number of inflation risks on the horizon and actually coming through the economy currently. So the strong jobs market uh, is definitely creating um, a, a, you know, a tight situation for labour and you know we may not have seen the end of uh, wage increases. There's also a really hot housing market. We've had international shipping rates go up and we've of course got the conflict in the Middle East. All of these things could potentially impact our imported inflation such as energy. So I think the Reserve Bank is playing it safe and that's the right course of action at the moment. That is economist Sherelle Murphy speaking a short time ago to Alicia Barry. News out this afternoon is that the Reserve Bank decided to keep interest rates on hold at 4.35%. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour. It is 14 past one. I wonder if the lights went out at your place late yesterday. A power outage impacted a lot of people, a lot of people living in parts of Darwin, Palmerston and Catherine. Now, it was caused by an interruption to gas supply at the Channel Island power station. Our gas supply correspondent is Dan Fitzgerald, who joins me here in the studio. What happened? Well, yeah, the power outage, uh, we're told, uh, impacted about 20,000 customers for almost two hours, according to Power and Water. It was across a whole range of places, residential properties, businesses, large supermarkets. Uh, a friend of mine couldn't get out of his apartment block because the electric gate didn't work. <laughs> Locked in there. Yep. Uh, it impacted a whole bunch of people. Uh, one of the businesses hit hard was Trampoline Gelato. Uh, John from the shop there, he says he lost power down there at the waterfront for a couple of hours, which uh, was pretty sad for him. Well, we, we'd actually been stocking up our gelato ready for the cruise ship coming in today to make sure we had good supplies. Um, which meant that we had no room in the uh, the back end freezers where we could normally stow trays if there was a particular problem. So all of the gelato in our display cabinet basically started melting. We were very fortunate to get the uh, waterfront staff to allow us to run some extension cords through to some power outlets that funnily enough were still working and that uh, meant that we could 
uh, keep uh, some of the freezers at the back end going, but all the gelato in the display freezer was ruined, so we had to throw it all out. That sounds devastating. How, yeah, how, not a good start to the week. No, it isn't. Especially after all the rain we've had. <laughs> yeah. How, how much, I mean, financially, how much would that cost you? Oh, well, I mean, it's obviously uh, got a comma in it. So, yeah, yeah. it's not insignificant. Yeah. As I say, we, you know, we've been uh, through a particularly difficult time the last few weeks with uh, a lot of the restaurants there closed for aircon upgrades. So there's not many people around at the waterfront. And now to have this on top of uh, everything else is, yeah, a bit distressing. We'll get over it, but uh, it's pretty annoying. That is John from Trampoline Gelato speaking to Adam Steer earlier this morning. We're talking about the power outage late yesterday, affected around 20,000 customers in the top end. I'm here with Dan Fitzgerald. Can you tell us more, Dan, about what exactly caused this outage? Well, the operator of the pipeline that supplies gas to Channel Island uh, put out a statement saying that it had experienced an event which led uh, to the company being unable to deliver the full supply of gas to Channel Island, and it acknowledged the impact that that outage had had and apologised for the inconvenience caused. Uh, the uh, Michael Besselink from Power and Water Corporation, he was on local radio this morning, and yes, he confirmed that it was a blockage just near the power station that was most likely to blame. Well, the generators at Channel Island run on gas, and it's uh, no differently to any other motor. As soon as the uh, supply of gas to that stops, well, then the generator stops. So basically um, the generation stopped because of the uh, lack of gas for that uh, interruption. We know that the government has been uh, buying gas from INPEX over the last 24 months because of issues with gas supply from Black Tip. Was the supply issue last night coming from Black Tip or INPEX? It was from, we don't believe it was from either. It was a localised um, issue at the, um, uh, around Channel Island itself. Oh, okay. So it was a, a blockage somewhere within the system. Potentially, yeah, um, Adam. We're still investigating what exactly happened um, there. It was um, uh, it was not a uh, an overall gas supply issue. Now, Matt, the Chief Minister Eva Lawless says there will be a review into this power outage last night, and the Chief Minister said this morning that the gas for Channel Island Power Station, what well, it actually hasn't been coming from ENI's Black Tip Field, which is actually contracted to supply power and water with gas until 2020, uh, 2034. Uh, the output of that field, it is almost non-existent at the moment. You were you showing me a graph earlier on. It's struggling, the it, old black tip. It is on the downslide, yeah. That it, gas field is having some major supply issues. Um, yeah, Chief Minister Eve Lawler, she said that the gas supply last night, it was actually coming from Santos. Right at this moment, I think it's, um, well, I know it's Santos. So, but as I said, there are a number at different times, there's different sources of gas. So um, E&I provide gas when um, they can, and uh, sometimes that's topped up by uh, gas from elsewhere. But um, whether that's Santos or Impex, and, but and, at the moment, right today, I think it's Santos. And, and where is Santos getting that gas from? from Bayoun, it's, it's tail gas Bayoun from Bayoundan. It's the Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, speaking there to Adam Steer earlier this morning, confirming that the Northern Territory's electricity, a lot of it, is currently 
as a result of Santos supplying some leftover gas from Bayou Undan. Yeah, so there's not enough gas in that field to put onto a ship, but there's enough just to trickle in and hopefully keep the lights on for the Territory. Yes, for the short time, because, um, yeah, the Territory needs it at the moment. The E&I's black tip field out there off the Water Coast, that is really struggling to put out much gas, yeah. uh, not enough gas to, to run the power. Uh, Dan, when we were on air yesterday, the news came through about the Territory Government opening up public consultation on what to do with saltwater crocodiles. Who was the first person we tried to call? Uh, we, we, I tried to get on the phone to Graham Webb. But, Professor uh, Graham Webb. I, we weren't many, the only ones. So. Yeah, I reckon he would have fielded a thousand calls yesterday. And we had people texting in saying, you should get Professor Graham Webb on. We'd love to hear his thoughts. Well, let's have a quick tune by the Pigram Brothers. And yes, you'll hear Graham Webb's thoughts, especially around this idea of culling more crocodiles. Such as they big story on the Country Hour yesterday was the NT Government's announcement that it's after public feedback on its 10-year saltwater crocodile management plan. The Chief Minister says there's now more than 100,000 saltwater crocs in the Territory and different management methods are being considered, including crocodile culls. This draft consultation paper, though, will allow the public to have a say around crocodiles and include culling. We know that's a, often a topic of conversation in the top end around the possibility of culling crocodiles. But this paper is also about making sure we have a sustainable crocodile industry. The industry is worth about $25 million in the Northern Territory, so a really strong industry in the Territory. But it is also about really looking at the density of those crocodile numbers particularly in areas where there's large numbers of human beings as well. Um, we do need to make sure our tourism industry is strong. We don't want to see Territorians taken by crocodiles. But it is an important paper because it gives everybody, it will give everybody a say around and that, that issue of culling, but give people a say around the numbers of crocodiles that we have in the Northern Territory and what we need to do in the future to manage those numbers. That's Eva Lawler on the program yesterday, and we got a text from someone who said there is only one person Eva Lawler should listen to regarding crocodile management, and that is Professor Graham Webb A.O. Well, yes, ABC News took a camera straight to Crocodilus Park to ask Graham Webb for his thoughts on culling, and this was his response. It's always good to find out about public opinion in something like crocodiles because people here that coexist with crocodiles. But I don't think uh, it should be overinterpreted. What I mean, there's culling takes place now. Strategic culling it has for since you know 1979, and it'll continue. It has to continue. But I don't think it'll necessarily escalate or, or get out of hand. Yeah, it's a pretty tightly science-based management program and so I suspect not a lot will change. So the, the old idea that, you know, well, if you cull the crocodiles, it's going to be safer to go swimming in all these rivers. Those days are gone. That's not going to happen. Like, if you go back to the 1960s, people could swim in all these rivers and uh, swim in Darwin Harbour and go spear fishing in amongst the mangroves, but that had to go when the crocs started to recover, and it did. And uh, uh, you'd have to go way back there to, and that, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen economically. Overall, the management program's good. 
of the 10 top priorities for governmental action in the Northern Territory, I'd say crocs don't even get on the ladder. You know, there's other much more important issues. So they should be proud of the program we've got and and uh, its ability to adapt into the future. If there is an expansion of crop culling, what would that look like? Oh, no, I think if there's an expansion of culling activities for public safety, the sorts of things that were looked at historically but rejected by government was to try and con- contain some of the upstream movement of crocs into areas where there's historically not a lot of crocs but the odd crocodile up there is a problem you know and we still don't know a lot about those crocs so i can understand strategic culling for that type of thing but this idea of just culling the population is widespread i don't think anyone i just don't think it's going to happen in that in it i wouldn't I'm not going to worry about it, you know, like, that's not the best option for the Northern Territory at all, for economic development, for people's safety, you know. People here are very well educated about crocs. There's really, for the number of crocs and the number of people, there's very, very few attacks now. And so the management, to me, is, is, is world class with a very difficult problem and they've done a tremendous job, so I don't see that changing. That is Professor Graham Webb AO sharing his thoughts on this story. Croc wrangler Matt Wright has jumped onto social media to share his views on this and really does echo a lot of what Graham said. He says, who are we to decide that a population of a vulnerable species like a crocodile should be culled in its own natural environment? We've just spent the last 40 years working on an effective and successful crocodile management system in the Territory, one of the best in the world, to protect the wild population of crocs and bring it back to a healthy and sustainable level. He says fatalities are now as low as they've been in a very long time. We also have a growing human population in the Territory that is impeding more into their habitats. He goes on to say what we should be focused on is continuing to manage the introduced and feral animal species and weeds taking over our beautiful country up here. Leave our prehistoric beauties alone, says Matt Wright. It's time now in the country hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Roma, here's David Friend. Roma agents yarded 7,779 head, a large increase of 4,836 head on the previous sale. All the regular processes, feedlots and background is active, with prices firm on last sale. However, the medium heavyweight feeder steers to feed sold era. At the time of this interim report, light weight dealing steers under 200 kilos topped at 508, with the steers 200 to 280 kilos to restockers, made to 512 to average 452. Yearling steers 280 to 330 kilos topped at 458, and the 330 to 400 kilos sold to 418. Yearling steers 400 to 480 kilos to feed, made to 420, an increase of almost 20 cents on last sale. Yearling steers over 480 kilos sold to 358, Growing steers 400 to 520 kilos sold from 310 to four dollars. Growing steers 500 to 600 kilos sold to 318. 
bulls up to 600 kilos sold from 270 to 362. This has been David Friend from the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, David. In the live export trade, there still hasn't been a single live export ship out of Darwin this year. The Brahmin Express and Nine Eagle vessels are still parked up off the NT coast and the industry still waiting for those import permits to be released by Indonesia. And its presidential election is next week. Keep it rural.